Hi there, this is James Eek, and you are listening to episode 99 of Warrior's Way podcast. If you're listening to this when it's fresh off the presses, you already know we're in the midst of a plague. Some places, though, are starting to get back to a semblance of normality, but hopefully you're being smart, sane, and cautious. Experts are saying we are at the end of the beginning of it at least. And all over the world, we are doing our best to stay healthy and strong and moving forward. My own martial arts school, the Eek Academy of Martial Arts in Victoria, British Columbia, in Canada, is set for a reopening soon, albeit with restrictions to keep everyone two meters apart. This is not a time to complain about the hand we've been given. It's a time to adapt to overcome and to change. These are strange times, people. Nobody wrote a how-to manual for getting told by the planet to go to our rooms and stay away from everyone. Nobody really knows when this thing will end. Nobody knows much. But here's what I know. Life goes on, and life will go on. What we all need to do is make sure that we are supporting each other and supporting all of those who need our help and our support. Your school, your teacher, and other local small businesses need you. Believe me. If you're looking to keep up training yourself in this weird new time full of online martial arts classes and social distance training, then you should check out our Warrior's Way podcast Patreon page. It has a growing number of instructional videos for you to use completely free and a ton more that are available for a small amount that helps me keep doing this podcast and all of those instructional videos. So if you haven't seen it yet, head over to patreon.com and search for the Warrior's Way podcast and check out all the cool things you can do right now wherever you are. Stay safe, use your brain, make sure you train. That should be on a (laughs) t-shirt. Let's kick this podcast off. I've always been fascinated with the idea of death as far back as I can remember, from earliest childhood. You may think it's kind of morbid when a child at night says the phrase, if I should die before I wake, there's something about it that's absolutely weird. What would it be like to go to sleep and never wake up? Most reasonable people just dismiss the thought. They say, you can't imagine that. They shrug their shoulders and say, well, that will be that. But I'm one of these ornery people who aren't content with an answer like that. Not that I'm trying to find something else beyond that, but I am absolutely fascinated with what it would be like to go to sleep and never wake up. Many people think it would be like going into the dark forever. And some think it's like being buried alive. Obviously, it wouldn't be like that at all. Because we know darkness by contrast. And only by contrast, actually. With light. I have a friend, a girl, who's very intelligent and articulate, who was born blind and hasn't the faintest idea what darkness is. The word means as little to her as the word light. 
So it is the same for you. You are not aware of darkness when you are asleep. If you went to sleep into unconsciousness for always and always, it wouldn't be all at all like going into the dark. It wouldn't be at all like being buried alive. As a matter of fact, it would be as if you had never existed at all. Not only you, but everything else as well. You would be in that state as if you had never been. And of course, there would be no problems. There would be no one to regret the loss of anything. You couldn't even call it a tragedy because there would be no one to experience it as a tragedy. It would be a simple nothing at all. Forever and forever. Because not only would you have no future, you would also have no past and no present. At this point, you're probably thinking, well, okay, let's talk about something else. But I'm not content with that because this makes me think of two other things. First of all, the state of nothingness makes me think that the only thing in my experience close to nothingness is the way my head looks to my eye. And then behind my eye, there isn't a black spot. There isn't even a hazy spot. There's nothing at all. I'm not aware of my head, as it were, as a black hole in the middle of all this luminous experience. It doesn't even have very clear edges. The field of vision is an oval. And because of this oval of vision, there is nothing at all. Of course, if I use my fingers and touch, I can feel something behind my eyes. If I use the sense of sight alone, there is just nothing there at all. Nevertheless, out of that blankness, I see. The second thing it makes me think of is when I'm dead, I am as if I never had been born. And that's the way I was before I was born. Just as I try to go back behind my eyes and find what is there, I come to a blank. If I try to remember back and back and back to my earliest memories and even behind that, nothing. Total blank. But just as I know there's something behind my eyes by using my fingers on my head, so I know through other sources of information that before I was born, there was something going on. There was my father and my mother and their fathers and mothers and the whole material environment of the earth and its life out of which they came and behind that the solar system and behind that the galaxy and behind that all the galaxies and behind that, well, another blank space. I reason that if I go back when I'm dead to the state where I was before I was born, couldn't it happen again? What has happened once can very well happen again. If it's happened once, it's extraordinary. And it's not really very much more extraordinary if it all happened all over again. I do know I've seen people die, and I've seen people born after them. So after I die, not only somebody, but myriads of other beings will be born. We all know that. There's no doubt about it. What worries us is that when we're dead, there could be nothing at all forever. As if that were something to worry about. 
before you were born, there was the same nothing at all forever. And yet you happened out of that. If you happen once, you can happen again. Now, what does that mean? To look at it in its very simplest way and to put it proper, properly to explain it to myself, I have to invent a verb. This is the verb to I. We'll spell it with the letter I. But instead of having it as a pronoun, we will call it a verb. The universe eyes. It has eyed in me. It is eyes in you. Now let's respell the word I, E-Y-E. When I talk about an I, or I, it means to look at something, to be aware of something. So we will change the spelling and we, we will say the universe eyes. It becomes aware of itself in each one of us. And it keeps the eyings and every time it eyes, every one of us who, in whom it eyes feels that he is the center of the whole thing. I know that you feel that you are I in just the same way that it, I feel that I am I. We all have the same background of nothing. We don't remember having done it before, and yet it has been done before again and again and again, not only before in time, but all around us, everywhere else in spaces, everybody is this universe eyeing. Let me try to make this clearer by saying it is the universe eyeing. Who is eyeing? What do I mean by eyeing? There are two things. First, you can mean your ego, your personality. But that's not your real eyeing. Because your personality is your idea of yourself, your image of yourself. And that's made up of how you feel yourself, how you think about yourself, thrown in with what all your friends and relations have told you about yourself. So your image of yourself obviously isn't you any more than your photograph is you or any more than the image of anything is it. All of our images of, of ourselves are nothing more than caricatures, to be honest. They contain no information for most of us on how we grow our brains, how we work our nerves, how we circulate our blood, how we secrete with our glands, how we shape our bones. This isn't contained in the sensation of the image we call the ego. So obviously then the ego image is not myself. Myself contains all these things that my body is doing. The circulation of the blood, the breathing, the electrical activity of the nerves. All of this is me, but I don't know how it's constructed. And yet, I do all that. It's true to say I breathe, I walk, I think, I'm conscious. I don't know how I manage to be but I do it in the same way as I grow my hair. I must therefore locate the center of me, my eyeing, at a deeper level than my ego, which is my image or idea of myself. But how deep do we go? 
We can say the body is the I. But the body comes out of the rest of the universe, comes out of all of this energy. So it's the universe that's eyeing. The universe eyes in the same way that a tree apples or that a star shines. And the center of the appling is the tree. And the center of the shining is the star. And so the basic center of self of the eyeing is the eternal universe or eternal thing that has existed for 10,000 million billion years and will probably go on for at least as long, if not much more. We're not concerned about how long it goes on, but repeatedly it eyes. So that it seems absolutely reasonable to assume that when I die and this physical body evaporates and the whole memory system with it, then the awareness that I had before will begin all over once again, not exactly in the same way, but that of a baby being born. Hmm. Of course, there will be myriads of babies born. Not only baby human beings, but baby frogs and baby rabbits, baby fruit flies, baby viruses, baby bacteria. And which one of them am I going to be? Only one of them. And every one of them, this experience comes always in the singular one at a time but certainly one of them actually it doesn't make any difference because if i were born again as a fruit fly i would think that being a fruit fly was a normal ordinary course of events and naturally i would think that i was an important person a highly cultured being because fruit flies obviously have high culture we don't even know how to look at it but probably they have all sorts of symphonies and music and artistic performances in the way light is reflected on their wings in different ways, the way they dance in the air, and they say, oh, look at her, she has real style. Look how the sunlight comes off of her wings. Wow. They say in their world, think, they are as important and civilized as we do in ours. So if I were to wake up as a fruit fly... I wouldn't feel any different than I do when I wake up as a human being. I'd be used to it. Well, you say, it wouldn't be me. Because if it were me again, I would have to remember how I was before. Right. But you don't know. Remember how you were before. And yet, you're content enough to be the me that you are right now. In fact, it's a thoroughly good arrangement in this world that we don't remember what it was like before. Why? Because variety is the spice of life. And if we remembered, 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 having done this again and again and again and again and again, we would get bored. In order to see a figure, you have to have a background. In order that a memory be valuable, you also have to have a forgettery. That's why we sleep every night to refresh ourselves. We go into the unconscious so that coming back to the consciousness is again a great experience. Day after day, we remember the days that have gone on before, even though there is an interval of sleep. Finally, there comes a time when 
if we consider what is to our true liking, we will want to forget everything that went before. Then we can have the extraordinary experience of seeing the world once again through the eyes of a baby, whatever kind of baby. Then it will be a completely new and we will have all the startling wonder that a child has. All the vividness of perception, which we wouldn't have if we remembered everything forever. Whoa. So there you go, Warriors Way podcast fans. That was another golden nugget by Zen man extraordinaire, Alan Watts. If nothing else, his words are worth a good listen and more than that. Some serious pondering and full digestion. You see, this podcast is about training. And training is about life and living it fully and completely. And it is not much of a stretch to realize that a part of that training... Who am I joking? A whole big part of that training is not just a nod to, but a fully open-eyed understanding of death. And not of you of burying it or burying your head in the sand about it. In the old days, many systems of martial arts, students were forced, or maybe that's a strong word. Encouraged isn't quite right, though. In the old days, in many systems of martial arts, students were directed by their teachers to spend time meditating in the local burial grounds. To embrace whatever it is that you feel or experience or even see there. Not to scare you, not to freak you out, but to understand what your training is about. To understand what life is about. In this time of global pandemic, with well over 5 million people having contracted this COVID-19 thing, and over 350,000 people dead from it at the time of this podcast, we are seeing things in a different light, or at least most of us with brains are, and honestly, and I'm just going to put this out there. If you're still thinking that COVID-19 is just a flu, you need to go find another podcast to listen to with your tinfoil hat. <laughs> Plague or not, death is a shadow that we have to realize follows us throughout our lives. Not sometimes, but all the time, every day and every moment. We trust that we will wake up every morning because up to now we have, but nothing is a given. You cross the street and assume you won't be hit by a truck. But I can tell you from firsthand experience that sometimes you look both ways just like you were taught and you cross the street and you still get hit by a truck that comes out of nowhere, sends you flying bashes your head off of the truck, the windscreen, and then the road, and probably could have killed you, <laughs> and maybe in an alternate universe did. But plagues and speeding trucks aside, we all have a countdown. 
The question isn't if you are going to die one day, but more, how are you going to live right now? Good question. Meditation on death reminds me a lot of meditation on aging. Most of us, when we are young, don't even realize in the slightest what we are in for as we get older. We think somehow that it's a turn-the-corner turn kind of thing, and then, wow, we are now an old geezer with a cane. But that isn't how it works. It's a somewhat gradual experience that, from the right perspective, is actually pretty interesting, cool, and for me at least, it's something to be proud of. I look in the mirror and see some gray in my beard, and I'm kind of like, right now, that's good. I'm glad, right on. Because you know what? There are a lot of people who never got to be the ripe old age of whatever age you or I am right now. The gray in your beard if you have a beard, <laughs> is cool. When it comes to training, we need to make it be like a mirror that reflects reality that is devoid of delusion. And instead, always strive to see things as they are and will be. What we do, when we do this, we can see it our training from a unique perspective of training ourselves for not just the life we are living today, but the life that we will be living in the not-so-distant future. As I say to my students all the time, train yourself today for the person that you will be five or ten years down the road. Think hard about who and how you want to be then. Right now, as you're listening to this, or I'm saying it at least, I'm 51 years old. So everything I do in my training is to ensure that at 61... I am still fit, healthy, strong, and on the trajectory I want to be on with my martial arts, meditation, diet, how I work out, and the list goes on and on and on and on. And this is what training is really about. It's a holistic view of you and where you are headed. My goal with my kids' classes I teach are to help enable these awesome little Padawans into incredible adults. I don't fixate on them being kids. I f focus on what I can do in those classes to make them love training, to love their martial arts, to love their lives, to build up all of those things that will make them great adults. Training people in a way that enables them to become so much more. And I'll be honest, I feel a lot of the time that it doesn't work. <laughs> but then I'll see one of my students blowing me away. The way they do something. The kindness that they show. The awesomeness that they inspire. And I realize that it does work. But the person has to do the work themselves. Unfortunately, a lot of people put it on others. Instead of taking that responsibility themselves, they put it all on their teacher or on their school or on their system or on all the other people around them or on their past or on and on and on. It's called baggage. 
Dealing with life and with death in our own lives is one of the cornerstones of what training is. It's like a trampoline that will help us to reach new heights of understanding if we let it. Or we can go through our lives acting like nothing matters, that nobody matters, that being selfish, greedy, mean, cruel, petty, or like we can do whatever we want because we are going to live forever. You do what you want. That's your life. But I know how I am going to live and how I am going to train. All right. Let's go to the question of the week. So the question of the week is from Tim, who wants to know what I plan to teach at my martial arts school if we can't be near one another because of the coronavirus. That is a good question, Tim. Strangely enough, it seems that my entire martial arts path has led me here to this spot after almost 40 years of training. I'll explain what I mean. So I've trained in Judo, Gojuru, Yaido, Qigong, Tai Chi, Aikido, different Southeast Asian and North American kickboxing systems, Jeet Kune Do, Eskrima, Kali, Sila, Arnis, Jiu-Jitsu, and a whole lot more. I've also studied fitness, mobility, meditation, different forms of physical training, and I've had the honor and blessing of having had some of the greats of martial arts and training as my teachers. The one overarching message I think that I've learned from them all is to be creative, to adapt, to not fight change, but to constantly change and grow to be a student of life for life. So yeah, I can't have my students rolling in jujitsu and I can't have people holding pads for one another. Here in BC, at least, we're expected to stay two meters from each other if we're going to be doing things with others. But the thing is, there is so much I have learned and so much I can teach that works for exactly this. There are martial arts mobility drills, forms, carenza, shadow boxing, basics, a ton of supplemental exercises that I've been taught and have always practiced and shown. Now I have to simply shift to a phase where my primary focus, for the time being at least, is training the individual to train themselves. That is really what all martial arts is about, training yourself, yourself. End of the day, that is what we all have ourselves. You don't have anything else. And we have to take responsibility for ourselves. When I hear different teachers or schools saying that they can't teach because there are too many restrictions, I feel really bad for them, to be honest. And I feel bad for the students as well. What those people believe, or maybe they've been taught, is that you need to have another body to train. But if you look at the history of martial arts, it was never that way. 
the core was always solo training, whether it was makiwara or kata or moving around the chichi in Okinawa. Working your grip strength by walking across the floor in sanchandachi while holding heavy clay pots with your fingertips. <laughs> I've done all that stuff, by the way. The old masters knew something that we've all forgotten, or at least a lot of us have forgotten. Your martial arts is about you becoming the best that you can be, and that means you need to have an open mind. It means you need to throw away excuses. It means to be creative, adaptive, and change with change. As the Tao Te Ching says, change with change is the changeless state. So, that was a long answer, but there you go. We are going on the mats and we're going to train hard in creative and fun ways because that is what you do when you walk this path. This is the way. So there you go. I hope that answers your question. And I think we will tie it up right there. So once again, if you get a moment, and I'm sure you do, head over to patreon.com and check out the Warrior's Way podcast page there. There's a ton of videos. I add pretty much a new video every week. Um, there's a bunch free right now. And then if you are interested in supporting us, uh, meaning me, <laughs> it's a one-man show, um, if you love this podcast and you want to make sure it keeps going, well past episode 99 and into the future, um, your support would be great. And that is how you can do it. It's a pretty simple thing. You pay whatever you want, to be honest with you, for a monthly fee and you get access to all these videos that I'm posting on, you name it. Um, and if you don't see something that you want there, send me a note and I'm pretty sure I can help you out. If you want to see what I'm up to, Check out the Eek Academy on Instagram. It's basically what I use for my social media because I don't want to have 50 different pages or accounts. Uh, so I just use the Eek Academy. It's easy. I post stuff for the podcast and my school there. And my own life. Could be a picture of my dog. <laughs> Um, but on Facebook, there is a Warriors Way podcast page. You can find that there. You could also find the Academy of Martial Arts on Facebook as well and check out what is going on. So the next podcast is episode 100, if you can believe that. And I will see you or listen to you or talk to you then. I hope that you are all doing well. Get out there, train hard, have fun. Be a great friend to everyone and everything. This world needs that. So do it. That's what training's about. Thanks a lot. <laughs>